0: Welcome to Risk Roundup. When security risk from cyberspace merge and converge with geospace and space, building resilience has never been more important for individuals and entities across nations, its government, industries, organizations, and academia than it is now for a digital global age. As we see today, the heightened risk and fragility from cyberspace is threatening to reverse major development gains across cyberspace, geospace and space. So the question is, if nations are to project their hard fought progress and development in cyberspace, geospace and space, how should they build resilience to any and all disasters that may emerge? Now to begin with, we need to understand that risk, resilience and security, they walk hand-in-hand and nations will thrive where all its components know how to build resilience. The ability of a nation to be resilient depends upon all of its components' ability to anticipate, absorb, adopt, and rapidly recover from any potentially disruptive event in cyberspace, geospace, and space. Therefore, understanding security risk from cyberspace geospace and space is fundamental to building nations resilience and security to discuss building resilience further i am delighted to welcome retired colonel jeffrey gainer to risk roundup colonel jeffrey's national security experience ranges from foxholes to the white house he is a national thought leader advocate and consultant for the application of operationally proven and objectively measurable resilience based infrastructure business and community preparedness policies, and application of their nationally comprehensive, compatible and proven mindsets, metrics, methodologies, and technologies across the spectrum of American life. In addition to his current position at American Resilient LSE as founder and CEO, Jeff is also an alumni of George Washington University's Homeland Security Policy Institute. He is a member of the Executive Advisors Committee of the Council of Com- Com- Competitiveness and is the immediate past president and CEO of the FBI's InfraGuard National Members Alliance. Welcome, Colonel Jeff. We are so very honored to have you on Risk Roundup. The
1: honor is mine, Jayshree. Uh, thank you for inviting me.
0: Wonderful, Colonel. So. Uh, Let's start discussing the state of resilience as we see across nations, but more specifically in United States. Resilience, the ability to overcome challenges from cyberspace, geospace and space is fundamental to develop security protection mechanism for nations. So how would you describe the state of resilience across nations today, especially in United States?
1: Well, I would say that we we started resilience in in the United States, or at least it was brought to the fore of uh, preparedness, uh, national uh, critical infrastructure, uh, community, and national preparedness in 2006. Uh, I would like to tell you that it has been operationalized, but uh, what we found is, is that there's a lot of talk about resilience, but the application of its mindsets, metrics, methodologies, and technologies is you so eloquently put it uh, is is not where it needs to be Uh, that problem is made worse by america's reliance on cyberspace i think one would uh, be able to argue quite successfully that uh, america is perhaps the most cyber reliant cyber reliant country on the planet Uh, that goes to our definition of risk Uh, america has a, a definition of risk that it is a uh, it is has three components uh, threat vulnerability and consequence. Uh, I would argue that reliance has to be called out and made a part of that uh, of those those three categories or those three components of risk because of our reliance on cyberspace. Uh, quite frankly, uh, our uh, our adaptation of highly invasive. Uh, invasive uh, technologies has outpaced our ability to secure them. So the issue uh, as you pointed out with with cyberspace is how do you get in front of this? Uh, I wrote an article called The Predator's View. Uh, uh, It's in the World Security Report, uh, the May-June 2018 uh, edition of World Security uh, Report. And it argues that if you don't have the ability to understand what people are seeing, you've got no way of objectively measuring how well you're doing as far as resilience is concerned or even national security. Uh, So I would like to to tell you that uh, we're implementing resilience across the board, uh, but I would not be accurate in doing so. We've got a long way to go, and it starts from the bottom. It starts from communities. Quite frankly, our, our new FEMA uh, administrator, Brock Long, uh, in, a, uh, in a comment earlier this year, just put it out there. It says we do not have a true culture of preparedness in this country. It says we need a new culture of preparedness and that the key to resiliency is held at the local level of government. It's going to take a whole community effort on the pre-disaster side. What he is talking about is a radical change in what we've been been considering the the preparedness culture in the country. Uh, It's got to be built from the bottom up, and quite frankly, it's been directed in the past from the top down. Uh, America has a bunch of critical infrastructure sectors, and I would argue that if the critical infrastructure is not there, you've got no community, you've got no business, you've got nothing. Uh, basically, so critical infrastructure has to be there. The cyber component is, is all encompassing. Uh, and if we're going to build resilience, it's built not in sectors. America has organized its critical infrastructure, quote, protection efforts in sectors, 16 sectors, 16, 17 sectors, and they're, they're lined up vertically, but nobody lives their life in a stovepipe. Uh, when they first came out with the, the sector concept, uh, okay, that's great but they were at the same time very concerned about interdependencies. Well, okay uh, you've got a fit, you've got things lined up vertically uh, from the federal government looking down, but when you're in, and you're in your in communities, all those critical infrastructures naturally come together. So if you're going to build resilience, why aren't you building it from communities up rather than the federal government down? And Brock Long is uh, the first person that's come out and said that. So that's that's a very hopeful uh, it's a very hopeful
0: development. Yes, absolutely. End? Absolutely. it's a helpful development, and you made really interesting three points. One is the that we are a digital nation. So, our uh, vulnerabilities has increased because of the cyberspace. Number two is the culture of preparedness, we have to focus on that and number three is the interconnectedness and interdependencies the, those are excellent points because all these means that, you know, we have to address risk and resilience from and security from an entirely different perspective. So, any nation's ability to withstand any disruption from if you are talking about cyberspace or because of cyberspace in geospace and space impacts its ability to conduct its operation or governance or any kind of advancement. But what does resilience mean? To any nation, let's say to, talking about United States, we are a digitized nation. So, what does the resilience mean to uh, United States or its different components, like government, industries, organizations, and academia, and even individuals? What does resilience actually mean to all of us?
1: Well, that's the you, you gave a uh, gave a good description of what what resilience is, a definition of it. I would have added to that. Uh, that it is the predictable provision of essential services to maintain continuity of life, uh, business operations, and for that matter, the spectrum of national life. Uh, Predictability was the key. Uh, The the key change when in 2006, the Homeland Security Advisory Council took a look at the critical infrastructure protection programs that we've been doing uh, since the mid-90s and asked a fundamental question how much critical infrastructure protection is required to protect critical infrastructures and what was immediately <laughs> discernible from the blank stares that we got back when we asked that question was that there's no metric for protection and you might uh, might even go so far as to say well okay cybersecurity well how much cybersecurity is required to secure cyberspace and that drove that drove resilience uh, the, the recommendations from the Homeland Security Advisory Council said we need something that's objectively measurable. And if I were to explain uh, resilience to you straight up, it's, it's simple. Uh, uh, Einstein used to have a, a quote, or he does have a quote that says, if you can't explain it simply enough, you, you don't understand it well enough. And so the idea was was to empower people to work in their own best interests, ultimately to the benefit of all. And all it boiled down to was a Venn diagram of what's important in your life. Uh, How long can you be without it? That's the metric of resilience, time. And it leads to that question of predictability that you would know what's important, how long you could be without it and build capacities to make sure that what you need, you can have within the time that you have made a risk-based decision that you believe you can be without it. Uh, For critical infrastructure, it's reliant on cyberspace. Increasingly reliant on cyberspace. Uh, that's the problem. That's real time or no time at all. That you've got to be able to, uh, you've got to be able to respond quickly. And if you can't respond at the speed of light, which is impossible for a human to do, then you need to look at other means to build resilience into your into cyberspace. And if I may give you a quick war story from the Y2K operations that we ran uh, during the, during the, uh, the rollover, uh, there was an issue that came up uh, from the Swiss. They were very concerned that the, that the uh, Italians were not doing a good job in getting ready for, for Y2K. And at the Defense Department, because we were doing operations in Bosnia at the time, that was a big deal. Uh, We needed to know what was going on, and so we sent a team out there and went to this place that the Swiss had identified, uh, saying that they they weren't doing all they needed to do to ensure electrical uh, connectivity uh, for the portion of Switzerland that this particular distribution center served. Uh, Went in there, uh, took a look around, asked the the gentleman who was running the place what he was doing for, for Y2K, and he pointed at a, you know, reportedly pointed at a clock on the wall and says, that's my Y2K. We're good. That's all you're doing? Yep. That's, uh, that's it. Uh, it's my Y2K, 12 o'clock. It's going to go, going to go up. Well, wait a minute. It says, come on, let me show you. And what it turned out to be was that he had a physical switch for everything. He wasn't reliant on code. He really, frankly, didn't care about Y2K because he had a physical switch in his team have been flipping physical switches for forever. Uh, okay, fine. As long as the electricity got to him, he was going to be able to get it where it needed to go. That's, that's good, but the lesson that should have been learned from that is that perhaps more code, more exploitable code, is not the fix for code that's exploitable. That you, some things just have to work, and that there has to be a workaround, in this case, the code that's so exploitable so perhaps to to build resilience into an electrical infrastructure you need to have these physical switches as a failover and that that gets to the to the point of of dealing with it how long can you go without electricity you don't want to go for much more than four to eight hours without electricity people start getting nervous Uh, you know social stability starts to break down people get angry but these guys can flip a switch Can we do the same thing with code? Or is the really smart thing to building resilience into an electrical infrastructure is having a physical capability to ensure the flow of electricity?
0: I wish that we always have that kind of capability to just turn off the switch and uh, that would be the end of problems. But we know that that would not work in all scenarios and we will need to uh, develop or adapt to these changing conditions and withstand quickly and rapidly recover from disruption that can happen in all any different, any kind of format, whether it is uh, resilience towards uh, terrorism or uh, cyber attacks or breaches or innovation, we will have as a nation will have to prepare. Uh, and we will have to have a shared responsibility of all the components to be resilient and be prepared for any kind of disaster that is man made or natural and while managing or mani- minimising risk is an important part of the resilient equation. We all the decision makers and G decision makers that means the nations is government, industries, organisations and academia we have to start thinking about all these rapid advances in technology that is happening in the context of the progress and development to consider what are the trade-offs between resilience and risk to innovation and growth and Because it's not just, you know, what we are talking about information breaches or uh, uh, some kind of, you know, terrorist attack or uh, electronic warfare attack. When it comes to strategic security, risk and resilience, we have to think about what are the new innovations happening, how it's going to shift the business models, governance models, technology models. So those kind of strategic security risk also plays a big role in being as a resilient nation and that's what, you know, I don't see that anywhere that people are thinking about what are these innovations coming our way that is going to fundamentally, you know, probably wipe out our products and services or our models, technology, business models, governance models in the coming years. So when it comes to strategic security risk and resilience, do you see United States and and, any or all of its components resilient?
1: Do we see it coming? uh, quite frankly, it's it's got to happen or we're going to learn the hard way again. Uh, that was the idea behind my the predator's view. Uh, we've basically made ourselves so reliant on cyberspace that it's become a great equalizer, if you will, a single point of national failure that a number of countries are very successfully exploiting. We've got an opportunity to change the culture that you're talking about, and I think that's that's part of the problem, is that we don't have a resilience culture We have a protection culture uh, that has been homogenized into resilience. The term protection and resilience has been homogenized. Everybody likes a new term. In Washington, we used to call them buzzwords. Uh, That's really swell. Yeah, we're into resilience, but we're not applying the mindsets, the metrics, the methodologies and technologies to actually build resilience. A lot of people are doing a lot of talking about it. And that's good as far as it goes, but like I used to say, rhetoric isn't results. Uh, Activity is not accomplishment. We held 52 meetings, and therefore we've done what? You've held 52 meetings. That's activity. Uh, But starting, uh, we've got, uh, there's an initiative underway that may be up to $1.5 trillion in investment in critical infrastructure as the foundation of of a secure country. Why not start? with the nation's nervous system and start building those resilient capacities in there, even if it includes physical switches to move electricity. When you do that from the predator's view, you're complicating the targeting that they're doing. Uh, And one of the things about, uh, about attackers in general is that their, their mission in life is to cause consequence. If you can tamp down the consequence, it's no longer a viable target. You tamp down the consequence by minim- by minimizing those consequences. From everything short of everything short of the uh, global Armageddon, uh, we all lose. Then, uh, but anything up to that, building the capacities to deliver the things that are important to people, whether they're in communities or they're at the White House, uh, from communities to the White House, having the capacities built to ensure that what you need, you can have it within the time that you can afford to be without it. Is key, and that starts in American communities, just yeah. like uh, just like the FEMA director said.
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh, and you made a very interesting point and a very appropriate point that culture is very, very important. And while you know the cyberspace is bringing us a lot of vulnerabilities and a lot of uh, risk, security risk, it is also that the new ideas and innovations are emerging anywhere. Now, so far, over the years. Only selected few institutions had the capability and resources to develop lot of, you know, science and technology development now because of the democratization of information and uh, any kind, even if somebody wants to build a entirely new organism, they can get, you know, irrespective of which part of the world they are in, they can order through mail order and get some genes and you know, if they are really smart, they can uh, probably uh, build a pathogen, uh, you know, entirely by themselves. So, these are the kind of challenges we are facing. New machine learning innovations, new, you know, uh, blockchain innovations and new systems Mm -hmm. are being developed everywhere across nations. So, the challenges, the innovation challenges are also threats are coming, you know, to all nations and we have to be prepared from that perspective too. And one of the key functions of nations and its decision makers has always been to balance risk against progress and advancement and and evaluate its impact on national security so when you see all this changing reality of the security risk emerging from the cyberspace geospace and space all different kinds of ideas and innovations all new developments happening in science and technology how do you see the current role and responsibilities of decision makers changing, you know, in uh, across nations, you know, irrespective of whether it's a government or industries. Well,
1: again, we're, we're back to this, this culture shift. Uh, and it, it's it, it's not a national culture shift, it, it's, it's dealing with an all-too-human response to danger. Uh, you can, you can spend a lot of time telling everybody about the threats, uh, but there's this in their built-in uh, inbuilt cognitive balance mechanism in every human that when you tell them look out uh, there's a problem here that we need to work with they come back and say well if it happens it's not going to happen here and if it happens here it won't happen to me and if it happens to me it won't be bad so somebody's going to fix it But the, the way to deal with that is to give people the, the ability, the, the tools, the knowledge uh, that that they can use to take care of themselves first and foremost. Uh, take a look at your family life. What's important to you? How, do you? how do you live your daily life? And if you lost it, if you lost something important to you, what are the options available so that you can continue your life, that your family safety, security, quality of life, and future are maintained? And we don't have that culture yet. We've yes. still got the culture as if it's going to happen, it won't happen to me.
0: Yes, Uh, that's, that's an excellent point and that makes me think that to be able to understand what is at risk and how to be resilient, everyone needs to first know what assets we are protecting, irrespective of we as a family or individual or governments or industries, they all need to know what assets are important and what are they actually protecting. So, do you see that the decision makers understand the true nature of assets they are protecting or they are trying to make it resilient?
1: I would love to tell you, yes, they do, but I won't. Uh, this this idea of, of Einstein's that if you can't explain it simply enough, uh, you don't understand it well enough, people like complexity. And every time you go to them with something simpler than that which they're comfortable with, you get you get resistance. It can't be that simple. We've been working on this for 20 years, and all of a sudden you mean this is all it is? yeah uh, that's that's all it is it gets more complicated when you start looking at interdependencies electricity is important to an electronic or electric provider but that electric provider is also reliant on another people down there down their supply chains or their operational chains so okay simple enough to take a look at what's important to you how long you can be without it and what capacities need to be built but when you're an infrastructure provider that gets complicated and it complication slows people down. Uh used to be a Chinese uh, Chinese uh, slogan that a, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. We need to take that single step. Uh, this is not going to happen overnight. Uh, a guy by the name of Russell Honore, uh, Lieutenant General Russell Honore, uh, was a man who was given the job of going down to New Orleans after Katrina. Actually, a critical infrastructure, protected critical infrastructure that failed. Everybody knew it was going to fail. It was just a matter of time, and I'll be darned if it didn't happen. And he went down there and settled people, you know, settled people down, and and said, "Look, look, America, you really need to move to the left side of the event curve. Since 2000 and, and 2001, we've been in the response and recovery mode. We need balance. And what he was suggesting is." Prevention and continuity has to be balanced with response and recovery, and we've been spending a lot of years on response and recovery. That mindset has to change. Uh, The American Red Cross came out with something that said for every dollar that you spend in preparedness, you save six to nine in response and recovery, and that didn't include the loss of life, the extended human suffering, property damage, economic damage, social disarray. didn't even go there. Uh, it was interesting that it would have taken the, uh, so much less money to fix, uh, to, to upgrade the levy system than it did to recover, if you will, from the effects of that levy system's well long predicted uh, collapse. Uh, so that part of that culture is moving to the left side of the bang, if you will, uh, getting balance, uh, building resilience goes to as much preventing the problem. As it does responding to it, and that's that balance between between prevention, continuity, response, and recovery, has got it's got to be balanced. We're too much to the after the bang. I'm trying to remember the quote uh, that uh, Tom Rich, the first secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, said: "Is that America tends to be a reactive society? You know, that we we have something bad happen and then we go like crazy." Uh, we'll, we'll fix it. But first something had to happen, and that's my nightmare, is that first something will have to happen, and that's why I'm on the road doing what I'm doing. It's what American Resilience is all about. Get people thinking to the left side of their bang in their own best interest to the benefit of all. Yes. Are we there yet? Uh, n- no. Uh, can we get there? Yes, and that's the frustration. Uh, that Making it Making it a lot easier for people to understand and act in their own best interest is where we've got to go. I talked to a group of broadcasters, uh, what was it, last Thursday, or last, yeah, last Wednesday. Uh, in any event, uh, their reach into into American homes, I think, is, uh, is a tool that we haven't used well. There's not a lot of preparedness, if you will, uh, preparedness, uh, public service announcements being made. There's not a lot of education on that. There's a lot of them that show up when things are bad or things bad are about to happen to you, but not before. There's there's not public service announcements saying, hey, here's what you what you've got to do in advance, other than those people say have, you know, three days of water in your basement and, and all of that. We're we're not we're not we haven't got the granularity of information on preparedness, continuity that we do on response and recovery. Yes. And that's that's culture, that's education, you know, bless you, that's, that's education, uh, and we're not doing
0: that. Yes, very true, and like, you made an excellent point that we have a reactive culture. If something happens, we'll try to go quickly and fix the problem and try to come up with solutions, but we don't have a habit of doing it proactively, and now right. regardless, of how the decision-makers across NGOs, that means nations government industries organizations academia however they structure themselves around you know either cybersecurity or geo security or space security risk how do they set expectations for these interconnected and interdependent security risk management needs that we have and the resilience need that we have because you made an excellent point you know earlier that there is an interdependency and we as a you know nation any nation, you know, irrespective of whether it's the United States or any other nation, each nation needs to understand their interconnectedness and interdependency. So, how do decision makers set expectations about their, you know, interconnected, interdependent uh, resilience needs?
1: Well, we've got a lot of checklists. Uh, you know, that's 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 one way. Uh... The, the problem, again, is human. Uh, you, you can put out a checklist and saying make sure you do this, 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 and this, and uh, you, you will be compliant. Well, that's fine, but compliance is not security or preparedness. Uh, it's, and again, all of us being human, you give somebody a checklist, once they check it off, they tend to just say, I've done everything I need to do, and things go south. Uh, so checklists are a danger in themselves, getting this, inculcating this, this culture of continuous improvement, continuous innovation. Uh, we don't have that. Uh, you hear the word innovation a lot. Uh, I could use the example of a brand new car. Boy, this is it. Brand new. There's nothing brand new about the car. It's an iteration from the previous year's model. But we have conflated the term iteration and innovation. Innovation is used very loosely uh, we say we innovate all the time, but really, no, what we've done is iterate on what was there before. Yes, no, that's, a, that's
0: an excellent point because, I mean, we have a culture of focusing totally on compliance and legal issues. Yep. And uh, we are that's, you know, a challenge that we see everywhere, because if you look at the overall risk profile, that only 25% makes of, you know, compliance and legal and operational mm-hmm. and financial risk. So about 75% is strategic security risk, which, you know, people don't pay attention to, but that is where the biggest threat is coming this day. So, you are absolutely right about it that if you just focus on checklist, then, you know, those checklists gets outdated and they are not updated, you know, every minute or every day. So, uh, that is not a very effective way. And you also mentioned earlier about the metrics. So, the question of how resilience can be measured, including metrics, uh, I mean, there are many, many you know, people and many groups that are working on it, so many sources that are mm-hmm. working on different metrics. But the uh, question is, do we have an effective approach to measuring resilience?
1: Well, that's where, the, that's where that metric of time comes in. It's a universally accepted metric. Uh, the older you get, the less you like time. But it is a metric that everybody understands, seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years, decades. It's, it's there. Uh, it's something that everybody can work on because we really need to do this as a nation. Every nation needs to do it as a nation, not, as a, not in a stovepipe, but community by community, business by business, school by school. And that's the culture issue that we're talking about. How do you inculcate? a culture, or how do you how do you change the culture that's been in place for 30 years short of something terrible happening? I don't have an answer to that except to keep going to people and saying, folks, there's a better way of doing this. How much critical infrastructure protection do you need to protect critical infrastructures? How much cybersecurity does it take to secure cyberspace? No answers to those. There's just, there's no way to quantify it, but with resilience, you've got that metric of time and it's a start. Don't get me wrong, somewhere along the line, there's going to be another word that comes along and everybody's going to to jump at that and say, ah, that's where we needed to be all along. Uh, The the issue is a metric. Uh, And so resilience metric is time and weigh everything against that. And you'll be building capacities that you need to make sure that short of global Armageddon, you're going to be able to predictably, if you will, recover in the worst case. But in the, in the best case, maintain continuity of operations. When you can do that, and from the predator's view, when you're strong enough to do that, you've really made life miserable for a predator. Uh, and when they can't create consequences, uh, you're safer, you're more secure, your quality of life and future are assured as best as they can be in in a, in a risk-filled world. Uh, but how do you, how do you change that culture? You, you've, you've hit on it how do you change this culture of preparedness that uh that uh, the fema director has has talked about you you just don't change culture fast uh short of a catastrophic event
0: yes and we don't don't have
1: a catastrophic event you're
0: absolutely right it's very hard so what we uh, what steps should we take to uh, cultivate a culture of risk-aware and risk-adjusted uh, decision-making, and you know, to be you know conscious about all the risks that are emerging, and to develop the right processes for resilience? So, what steps needs to be taken?
1: Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of educational efforts underway. Uh, I've I've worked with uh, worked with some schools. Uh, they're trying to trying to get to the next generation of leaders saying, you know, think about this. You know, think about what you're doing. You have invited into your home a very invasive uh, exploit, you know, a vector, for lack of a better term, and you have gotten comfortable with that vector. Somebody puts out a, you know, a, a device in your home that, that streams music, it listens for your voice. Really? What made you think that was good? Uh, are we just too too comfortable uh, with information? Do we not value information on an individual level? Uh, John Kerry, back in August of 2015, I think he was on uh, CBS Evening News, he said, I have no doubt that the Chinese and Russians are reading my email. Oh, well, really? Is that is that apparent lack of, of valuing information has it trickled down to the generation that succeeds ours? Are they comfortable that information doesn't matter? When you go on Facebook and they send it off to third-party people and the third-party people send it off to other third-party people and they tell you, well, you authorize us to do that and nobody gets angry about it? Yeah,
0: see, that's that's the thing that, you know, if you... If they f- are casually just saying that I'm sure that you know my emails are being read by China or you know by Russia, even it's mm-hmm. like that you know to we in as individual or entities or any decision maker we need to have that thoughts in our mind that what kind of uh, attacks are possible, what kind of threats are, you know, happening in our life, daily personal life, professional life or, you know, life of our nation and how we can create a plan to defend against those attacks or against those vulnerabilities and security threats. So how do you think that nations or any of its decision-makers and even those individuals who think that you know their emails are being read by China and Russia how can they create an effective resilience plan
1: again start start from from people and communities up A uh, national plan by by design is from the top down i worked in Washington in a lot of years and when you're in Washington you have one perspective I think it's, again, it's part of this culture of building a house from the ground up rather than from the roof down. Uh, absent the, the involvement of, of the governed, the governors are going to get it wrong. Uh, the information uh, belonged to InfraGard. <clears throat> its job was to bring issues regarding critical infrastructure preparedness, uh, if, uh, and situational awareness to Washington so that Washington can make sound investments. Uh, that's not worked as well as it should, and how do you know that? Look at situation on the ground. Uh, everybody takes process for progress and activity for accomplishment and rhetoric for results, but the only true measure of success is on the ground. So that's where you're going to get the requirements from to build that national model or that national plan that you're talking about, it can't be done from the top down. It has to be done from it, and this is not pejorative, but from the people up. And that's that was the idea behind uh, behind InfraGuard. Uh, But you can take a look at the, at the, you know, at at, at reality. Uh, call it ground truth in the military, uh, but take a look at reality and see what has been done over the past 30 years. That's one of the questions that I ask, too, is to people think back 30 years of what the American infrastructure looked like, how it operated. Now bring it up to today, and what have we accomplished?
0: Yes, there's, no, that, that, yeah, not, a,
1: not a good answer for that question.
0: Yes, yes, no, very true. I mean, it's, to think of that as a national plan, that requires a very different mindset and very different kind of uh, culture and uh, the processes that needs to be established because it's not only why entities across NGI need to be resilient like you know each and every component of the nation, but rather how we can achieve that sustainable resilient operation irrespective of whether it's cyberspace, geospace or space, I mean any ecosystem. So, if entities any entity or its decision makers they decide if and how they will achieve their objectives and outcomes within an, an, you know, ecosystem that they are operating uh, their business or any of uh, their initiative in which the individual survival is never guaranteed because there are, like we discussed before, there are so many interconnectedness and interdependencies. But in spite of that, each and every organization, each and every entity are going individually towards their security goals, towards their resilient goals. if we have so many interconnectors and interdependencies and if we are trying to be a resilient nation, how are we, you know, going to achieve that if we all are working in silos?
1: Exactly. Uh, and that's the way that uh uh I I worked for a gentleman uh during Y2K and his uh one of one of the things that he brought up uh, years later is that uh uh, the federal government likes to line things up vert- vertically, uh, but your life is lived horizontally. Uh, so you know I get the vertical structure. Uh, that's that's fine as a program management venue or as a program management construct. But the construct of American life starts in communities, and and this this idea of of empowering. Uh, to uh, driving change from American communities and businesses up is, is the way that we're going to find out what the requirements are uh, so that with $1.5 trillion on the horizon, that we're actually doing the most for the most people uh, that we can do to begin with. Uh, I keep saying that perhaps the smartest thing to do there is, is make sure that America's nervous system or cyberspace is not only secured, but is made operationally resilient. And that that goes into things like we just talked about. Gee whiz, do we need more code to fix bad code? If code's exploitable, and eventually it all is, why do you keep adding code to things? Perhaps a physical switch is the smartest way to make sure that electricity can flow to people and can continue to provide water and the basic necessities of life I guess Tom Ridge and I, a quote that came in, uh, when the hometowns are secure, the homeland will be secure. And he preached this from the first day that the, the office of Homeland Security was, was created at the, at the White House and brought it to the, uh, brought it to the Homeland Security Department when it was created. And he kept emphasizing that. Get your head out of Washington. Listen to the people. Bring their requirements here and we'll work them. You know, but his whole thing was, as I use the term, ground truth. We have to know situational awareness on main streets, and then we can bring him to Pennsylvania Avenue. And that isn't isn't happening quite as well as it should, and you can see that from conditions on the ground. And uh, it's.
0: It's very complex because that whole uh, the very nature of you know involving everyone, listening to everyone is a very complex task, and the biggest challenge in making critical infrastructure, irrespective of whether it's cyberspace, geospace, or space, mm-hmm. resilient, is to manage these kind of complexities, these kind of interconnectedness and interdependencies by proactively addressing uh, all those you know challenges and adopting effective resilience techniques and resolving problems through cooperation. That is where the biggest challenge is because resolving problems through the broad national collaboration of each component of a nation, that means government, industries, organizations, academia, and even the communities, and even individuals, this is like a daunting task. So how, do, how would, you know, we as the United States or any nation can achieve something like that?
1: Again, we've got, we've got an education problem. Uh, We call it a challenge. Uh, It's the nice word for a problem, I guess. Uh, We've got an education problem, but more fundamentally, we've got a culture problem. that can be fixed with education, but it's taking time, and time is precious, and I don't want to put too fine a point on it, but with the problems from cyberspace, the situation gets worse by the millisecond. People don't move that fast, but we've got to get started. Uh, a, a lot of hand-wringing, uh, a, 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 lot of, a lot of discussion, a lot of studies, but it hasn't changed anything on the ground. So go to the ground. Go, go to communities and work this as a national priority. What's important in your community? What do you have to have? How long can you be without it? Let's get all of those basic infrastructure performance requirements brought up to Washington. Let the folks in Washington triage. That's kind of a medical term. But basically, take a look at all these requirements, find those that do the most for the most people first, fund those, fix them. Uh, my, my point is, is eliminate all community single points of failure. And they're out there. Uh, if you're looking through the predator's view, uh, there's, they're looking for single points of failure. Uh, I would argue that perhaps uh, the cyberspace has become a national single point of failure. Anybody with a, anybody with a mouse now can, can play with us. And at the same time, we're continuing to integrate more and more automated systems in. People are using mobile devices to, to check on the quality of your water. Oh, wow. Uh, we're going, going the, the wrong direction. Uh, we had a question uh, come up the other day. Uh, let's, let's do a tabletop exercise for preparedness officials in communities throughout the country. Uh, we need to build a scenario, uh, a list of scenario events that will test what it is that we need to do and get better at and we came up basically in an agreement that there would be only one scenario event the loss of information now what are you going to do and who else i decided well heck, that kicks the living daylights out of that drill but the the point was you've got a problem right there it not only Back in the, in the early 90s, we worked an information assurance uh, program. We actually built an information assurance program because the question came up and says, if you have no availability, what's security? And if you've got availability, but there's no integrity of the information or data that isn't what you put in, the, the, it was changed, what's security? So building, building assurance, if you will, critical infrastructure assurance, uh, cyber assurance, if we want to, uh, sorry for coining for a, a potential new phrase, but yeah, having assurance, both the availability, integrity, and security of the information, making sure that that's built in to begin with. Because again, if you can't access the information, what good is it? Uh, and it goes to this culture problem that we've been talking about. There's a lot of people out there that are reliant on cyberspace for everything that they know and do. And when you talk to preparedness officials and ask them about cyberspace and what it means to them and what happens if you lose it, well, somebody else is going to take care of that. But what happens when the information's gone? Well, somebody else is going to take care of that. Well, no. (laughs) What do you do when it's gone? You want to build resilience into the preparedness community? What do you do when you lose information, when you lose situational awareness? when you lose connectivity with a hospital, what do you do?
0: It's very true, what do you do? And so that to understand what do you do? I mean, they decision makers need to start asking questions. So mm-hmm. what are these questions that these decision makers, you know, irrespective of whether it's United States or any other, you know, country, any- that they should be asking whether it's FEMA or whether it's a, any business, uh, you know, or it's any critical infrastructure, what kind of questions? the decision makers should be asking today.
1: And that goes right back to that Venn diagram. Perhaps it's too simple, but ask everybody, what's important to you? What's important in your life at the family level, at the business level, at the community level? How long can you be without it? And what capacities do we have to build to make sure that you can have what you've determined to be important within the time that you can be without it? And you build that from the ground up. That's resilience, it's as simple as, as, We can make it, but if you make it too complicated uh, and I think it's gotten really complicated right now, people won't do it. They'll they'll look at the complexity of it and just say, uh, this is bigger than me. It isn't. It's about you. It's about your safety, your security, your quality of life, your future, and you have to play in that. Don't let somebody dictate those, those components of your life. What's important to you? You're a business leader. What's important to your business? How long can you be without it? And what capacities have to be built in your supply chain or whatever to make sure that you can maintain continuity of operations? Uh, Sometimes you'll find that it's the guy on the loading dock that knows more about what's going on than the guys in the C-suite. He sees the product coming across, and all of a sudden, the single point of failure is that guy on the loading dock. Well, train somebody to do his job, too. you know, have a failover, and that's the, that's the issue you know, with, with critical infrastructure that's reliant on cyberspace. What's the failover for critical infrastructure that's reliant on cyberspace when cyberspace goes away?
0: Yes, very true. There is also a lot of concern, and I see the you know, reason behind that concern is that the focus towards resilience is so much on technology. Now, mm-hmm. the approach should not only cover this technology infrastructure, but we also have to address people, processes, and communication. Do you think that that's a valid concern that, you know, we are focused too much on technology? Well,
1: yeah, absolutely. absolutely. It's about people uh, and their reliance on technology. Uh, it may sound a little, a little coarse, but we've got people living between their thumbs rather than their ears. Uh, it's you know their their life seems to have been reduced to what they can do with a device and so technology's everything but the thing that really matters is your life uh, and it's we have become reliant on something we don't control uh, and people need to think of themselves value themselves and what their lives look like they they've got to they've got to know what they they want to be and what they need to get there what they need to do rather than how we share what we want to do with others. We seem to have lost the, the, the focus on self. And it goes back to that culture again that, you know, for 30 years, we've been getting better and better and better at using really snappy devices. That's, that's great. But all around us, we've kind of a lost sense of each other. Uh, you can talk about the way people text messages to one another. Would you say that if the person was in front of you? We've kind of we've kind of lost our humanity amongst all this technology. So you're absolutely right. The focus on technology is not helping. The focus on humanity is where it's got to be. And humans are found in communities across the country. They're not numbers there, and people have to stop taking themselves for granted. There is singularly unique individuals. Uh, they may want to share their lives with everybody and his brother. Uh, But that doesn't make them less than a singularly unique individual. And they've got to take responsibility. There's a word you may not hear too much. But they've got to take responsibility for the quality of their own lives. Take a look around you. What's important? How long can you be without it? And what do you need to do? Or what what capacity do you need to create to make sure that what's important to you is available to you within the time that you can be without it? It's resilience. It it allows people to work in their own best interests ultimately to the benefit of all, if everybody would pick up that culture.
0: Yes, very true, very true. Now, your life has been uh, entirely focused on resilience. You know, you have done so much work in the resilience sector. So, what are the different variables you have always considered when you evaluate macro-level dimensions of risk and resilience? at you know different levels like you know whether you are working for fema or whether you are working for white house uh, you know at so to be to consider like at a local level or a national level what are the different variables you have considered that when do by when you are evaluating the macro level dimensions of risk and resilience irrespective of whether it's cyberspace geospace or space
1: that, that's that's a really great question uh... And if I had to answer, yeah, had to give you a, a 50,000 foot, 50,000 foot view of it. It's the way people perceive reality. Uh, the reality in, in San Francisco is different than the reality in Dallas, uh, from neighborhood to neighborhood. Reality, uh, reality is different. Uh, they're, they're unique places. And to try and put a cookie cutter over it, uh, won't work. Uh, People people need to be appreciated for who they are. Anytime you try and box somebody, you you get resistance. Uh, But the problem that you've laid out is, okay, reality looks like this on Main Street in America. How does it look at a state capital? How does it look at the nation's capital? And syncing up those pictures, getting through the, if you will, the the, the, the perception filters of people operating at multiple levels of of government wherever they are in the in, on the planet uh, that's that's the trick we've got to sync up the picture We talk a lot in the military about situational awareness that situational awareness that the person on the ground sees has to be as clear there as it is in for example washington d c and it's not it's filtered. And as it goes up, it gets more and more complicated. And there's people with a lot of, I didn't want to go here. Uh, there's a lot of people with uh, with uh, monetary, uh, if you will, involvement in the status quo. Uh, Ronald Reagan used to say the status quo, you know, is Latin for the mess we're in. Uh, there's the the, the ability to, to bring change is tough. People... There are people satisfied with the way things are in cyberspace right now. Uh, how do you how do you fix that? Other than, than than bringing up very clearly what's happening, people say they sympathize with you, they understand, they they don't, because nothing's changing. Uh, people say we've got this invention that's going to secure your networks. Really? Uh, read the newspapers. Uh, I'm just north of Atlanta. Uh, there was an attack on, the, I think it was the last day of March, uh, a, a ransomware attack. Uh, six, uh, six servers in, in Atlanta were affected by the ransomware, and that, that's not a good thing. But public officials went crazy. Look out. Uh, anybody who's ever done any business with uh, business in Atlanta is uh, now subject to this stuff. And uh, uh, look out. that people may have to write uh, parking tickets by hand. Uh, you want to call your bank and let them know. Well, the people who launched that attack are watching. So here's the guy on the street. Okay, we had a ransomware attack and the, the you know the, the community is looking at it. But the community is saying, oh, my God, uh, there's this perception filtering or perception. How you handle reality depends on, on your scope level and point of view, so to speak. But all of those different scopes, levels, and point of view makes it tough to have a clear picture of what's really going on and what can be done to fix it. There's a lot of simple solutions out there, but it's hard to get them through. Yes. Uh, even resilience. When it first started, <clears throat> people were talking, uh, this is just another you know, another buzzword. It's a, it's a concept. Well, the blowback to that was it's a concept. Concepts really don't have metrics. They're just ideas. Uh, I would offer that critical infrastructure protection is a concept and that resilience is an objectively measurable condition. Well, yeah, but we have our organizational equities. What? What has that got to do with anything? Uh, it's, you know, it's tough. This is this is really hard. But again, you have to start with it. You have to start building the house from the foundation. Absolutely, and then, absolutely. But these, these people tell you, in 2011, the Homeland Security Advisory Council recommended that we conduct an American resilience assessment. And don't let American bother you, be a Canadian resilience assessment, uh, Mexican resilience assessment. It doesn't matter. But start in America's main streets to Washington. What's important? How long can you be without it? And what capacities need to be built? With $1.5 trillion investment on the on the discussion table, at least, that would have been a good thing to do back in 2011 to inform people in Washington, exactly what the heck needs to be done. Yes. Uh, didn't do it, uh, but somewhere, yeah, somewhere along the line we'll be doing something like this. My prayer is that we do it before something terrible, otherwise, otherwise avoidable, but terrible yeah. things happen. Uh, oh, you, too, you can see it yes. coming. It's, it's there. Somebody's. Somebody's looking to be the great equalizer.
0: Yes, definitely. And so you are heading the organization called American Resilience. Mm-hmm. What would you like to share information about your organization's efforts in helping nations achieve resilience?
1: Well, it's it's first of all, it's a consulting effort. Uh, and what we've just talked about, uh, applying that information, uh, Uh, Giving people uh, an idea of what, you know, what we've been talking about and what they can do to deal with an increasingly complex world is what we're all about. Uh, It's, in in dealing with some, you know, some companies, uh, there there are legal restrictions on what they can talk about and what have you. But nonetheless, the message that we've been talking about today is exactly what American resilience does. Uh, We go out, talk to people, uh, it's it's hard, you know. But uh, measuring measuring progress uh, when you you take a look at everything that you've done over time and said has this caught on? Well, the word is caught on. But have the mindsets, metrics, methodologies, and technologies caught on? Nope. That leads us back to the culture issue that we're we're talking about. The checklists that come out and say, "Hey, we've done everything the government's asked us to do." That's it. We're not doing anything more. Uh, because the government knows more. Well, the government put that out to help you help yourself. Uh, but people take a look at those checklists; they'll go off and they'll do the checklist and relax. It's it's human. Yeah. But uh, it's it's been quite a yeah it's been quite a journey since 2006, seeing resilience come up as as a word, and now very very slowly being applied by FEMA. And by the Department of Homeland Security as the foundation of where we are going. This is going to be what the, the Homeland Security Advisory Council was, was talking about. It says we have to have resilience as a policy. Well, the federal government made it a policy, critical infrastructure security and resilience in 2015. Okay, we now have a policy, implement it. And that's, that's, that's the tough part.
0: Yes, Yes. that is the tough part. So absolutely right about that. So thank you, Jeff, for participating in Risk roundup today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on building resilience. And I'm sure our global viewers and listeners would benefit tremendously from the information you provided on the complex challenges facing United States or any other nation to be resilient today. And I hope that even if a single individual our entity can come up with an idea to understand and develop resilience towards their initiatives, or industries, or nations, based on the discussion we had today. This round of dialogue has been of service, and we thank you for that.
1: Well, it's my pleasure, Jay Shri, and thank you for what you're doing because your efforts—they're they're invaluable to driving this, moving it from, if you will, rhetoric to results. And I'm—I'm I'm here for you anytime.
0: Thank you so much. So any attempt to reduce the risk in cyberspace, geospace and space is towards building resilient nation. And since each decision and action impacts the level of resilience in cyberspace, geospace or space, the perception uh, and the choices made about security risk will likely shape how individuals and entities across NGIOA, that means nations, its government industries, organizations and academia will behave how they will respond during and after a security event, irrespective of cyberspace, geospace and space and how they will plan for the future security and future resilience of you know, their ecosystem in cyberspace, geospace or space and their nations. Risk Roundup, a global initiative launched by risk group is a security risk reporting for risk emerging from existing and emerging technologies technology conversions and transformation happening across cyberspace, geospace, and space. We at risk group believe that risk management, security, and peace, they walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. It is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts fit into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security, so if we build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security, and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risks together. For more information on the risk roundup, to watch the risk roundup webcast or hear the risk roundup podcast, please go to riskgrouplc.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jayashree, was of of signing off. See you next time. Thank you.